It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Hello and welcome back. Last week, we heard from my friend Lydia Finette on being the most powerful person in the room and how to find your voice and use it. And it's great advice as we're in the midst of graduation season, which is what today's episode is centered around. This week, I spoke with two people who know a thing or two about commanding your voice. If you risk a little more and succeed, the reward is a little greater. And if you're an educated woman in America, well, all you really have to decide is how hard you want to work. If you're listening to this, you've already made the decision that you want to succeed. To do that, be willing to take some risks. Get comfortable with being a little uncomfortable. Dr. Meg Jay is a clinical psychologist and an associate professor of human development at the University of Virginia, who specializes in 20-somethings. She's also author of the book, The Defining Decade, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them Now. I always have young 20-somethings asking me how to navigate the post-grad life, find a job, date, climb the career ladder. So I just had to speak with Dr. Jay and pick her brain. I recommend her book to everyone. I think that your book is the one I had most highlighted, most flagged, most dog-eared of any book I've had in a long time. And I was saying to all of these young people that came to me for advice, like, you have to read this first. And there is a strange thing that some of them, I think they're hungry for advice, and they kind of want you to give them a plan. And if you give them the plan, they'll finish it by 11 o'clock tomorrow morning and then expect to be the White House press secretary (laughs) by noon. And I think that we keep telling them that you have to do a few things. You you have to experiment and you have to see, you have to live a little, give it some time. Um, But so many of them will say they'll get to that in their 30s. You know, they'll really knuckle down or get disciplined or start saving or get married and they'll wait until their 30s. And then, but I was thinking, and one of the reasons I loved your book so much is that, but by the time you're 30, you've... You might, and all of those things might not happen. And then you spent all of this time not applying yourself. Right. And then if they do happen in your 30s, they have to happen really quickly all at the same time, which is extremely stressful. And so, one good thing about getting going on whatever it is for you work or life or love or yourself in your 20s is that you don't have to jam everything in in a five year period really quickly altogether. You can, you know, really, like you said, apply yourself and dig in at work for a bit and then turn to your uh, personal life or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, our 20s are really a developmental sweet spot. I mean, that you know, tons of data shows your earning powers decided in your 20s, you're going to probably meet your partner or be dating your partner or be dating your next to last partner in your 20s. So much is happening. But you're right. I think sometimes people wait because they don't really feel the urgency until their 30s. And, you know, which is fine, except maybe you missed out on some time that you could have used. 
Lots of graduates. Um, I sort of, I, I really feel for the graduates of 2020, both those from high school and, and college, because then they yeah. graduated into a pandemic year, which I want to ask you about um, as well. But how do you advise people sure. to come to you and ask if they should go to law school or graduate school? I get this question a lot, and I'm always sort of fumbling around for an answer. You mean like what kind of graduate school should no, they like go if to? No, if they mean, should, should go. I go to work? Yeah, when when somebody comes uh-huh. to you and says, "Should I go to graduate school or law school?" What kind of questions oh, 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 do gotcha. you ask them? to probe and get them to really think about what they want to do? Sure. Well, you know, I ask, I get really curious. So, I mean, obviously I can't jump to advice until I really understand the problem or the, you know, what they're thinking, but I get really curious of what's got you thinking about that. What was college like for you? What do you think you might want to do? Um, you know, if, if you didn't love reading and you didn't love research and you didn't love debating and you don't know that you'd love being a lawyer, I don't know that going directly to law school is the thing. But I think what it does provide for people is it feels like a plan and it feels like four more years of college, which is a great idea if you know, you know, that's the field you want to go to next. So I think, you know, for me, I did go to graduate school when I felt sure that I was now ready to become a psychologist. Before that, and I think, you know, for a lot of early graduates, it's not a bad idea to just get out there and get in the work world if you're not sure yet and have some experiences and get pieces of identity capital. And then you become more clear of, oh, yes, I do want to go back and become X, Y, or Z, or I'm really liking what I'm doing and I'm learning more than I thought at work. Oh, tell me more about identity capital. How do you define that? Yeah. So identity capital, it's a great term. It's not mine, but it's in the defining decade because I think it's really useful to 20-somethings. It's just, you know, graduating, getting out there in the world and just thinking about going one piece of identity capital at a time. So identity capital is just something that you're doing to add value to yourself. So my clients or my students will say, should I take this job or that job or this other job or should I just go backpacking for a year? And I always say, just take the job or the opportunity with the most identity capital, the best investment of your time that's going to add value to who you are, that's going to give you skills or experiences or connections or um, just know-how that you didn't have before. And then you, when that piece of identity capital seems to have run its course, then you just think about, okay, what's the next good piece of identity capital for me? I think a lot of graduates get really worked up imagining they're making this one career decision forever, that this is a 30-year decision they're making, (laughs) when really I say, just go one piece of identity capital at a time. If you're doing something that doesn't offer you back a lot of identity capital, I would really question why you're doing it or for how long you might want to do that thing. But if you're at some sort of position or job or opportunity and it's adding value, you're learning something, you're developing skills, then you just keep doing that until you feel like the learning has has kind of uh, run out. That happened to me when I um, decided not to pursue local uh, news in my career. I, although I had just finished a graduate degree in public affairs reporting, and I went to Washington, D.C. instead and was working for a congressional office, I believed at that time that I would never get to work in television again. And huh, uh-huh. I had such narrow horizons and now I'm actually working in television in exactly, well, beyond my wildest dreams, um, getting getting to all these opportunities here um, at Fox News. And I realized that that was really limited thinking that because I went to Washington 
That's the reason I was able to actually then get here. Do you have advice for how young people can stay positive at this time, you know, sort of post-COVID where it just might be a very difficult uh, work uh, environment to navigate right now? Yeah, I do. I actually think that there's a bit too much talk about this being, you know, sort of a lost year and, you know, therefore a lost generation that, you know, we don't, we don't know that we don't really know for any individual what the outcome of this year is going to be. And if you think about it, you know, if whether you're navigating a car or a plane or a horse or a skateboard or a life, you don't look right down at your feet. You don't look right in front of you. You look you know, out onto the horizon, where am I headed long-term? So I really advise uh, 20-somethings right now who feel like, oh my gosh, what have I lost in the pandemic? That this was a bump and maybe a big bump for some people in the road, but to still not have that, you know, lead you to believe that you can't just keep heading in the same direction that you were heading before and to kind of think long-term here of, okay, well, what can I do anyway, to earn some identity capital or to gain some skill or learn something or to learn something new about myself that might help me engage with work and with life, you know, when the world and the economy opens up again. So, you know, you never really know sometimes what these quote down years are going to be. I remember my year of maternity leave ended up being a very productive year for me, partly because it got me off of what I was normally doing and I, I'm pretty sure that that's when I started thinking about writing the defining decade because mm. I actually was out of my normal groove. And so sometimes these things happen where this wasn't what I expected. I thought I'd be going to get my first job or I thought I'd be working in person, but it's remotely. But, you know, we don't really know what that's going to lead to for you. And so for people to just take a breath and keep moving forward in the ways that they'd planned or in some way similar to what they'd planned and see what comes of it. A lot of our listeners uh, will be parents of these 20-somethings. Any advice for them about giving their children advice? I mean, sometimes it's easier (laughs) for younger people to take advice from somebody like you because um, you're not the parent. But a lot of parents are also either worried or concerned, but they don't want to be too heavy-handed in trying to push them along. You know, I just had a parent send me an email the other day and say, oh my gosh, thank gosh for your book, because I, you know, it's not an age where my kids really want to listen to me. And so I'm in the fortunate position of being able to, you know, be honest about what I know and what I think about the twenties and not be, you know, talking directly to my kids. And so my advice would honestly be to have them buy your book, Dana, (laughs) you know, uh, buy my book. And to say, hey, here's some food for thought. Here's some conversation. There's so many options for 20-something kind of reading and thinking more so than there used to be. Um, And just to kind of get those questions going and get those conversations going. So, you know, I mean, I I do feel that 20-somethings these days are closer to their parents than maybe they were in my generation which I think in a lot of ways is a great thing. So maybe, you know, your kids are more willing to listen than you think, but if not, you know, put a 20 something book on their bed and um, you know, if they're willing, just chat with them about it, see what it's got them thinking. I had one uh, parent um, 
send me an email one time and said that what I asked for for Mother's Day this year was for my daughter to read your book and for us to talk about it. And so I thought that was a pretty cool idea. Oh, I just got the chills. I love that idea. Um, a little book club, little family book club. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. There's uh, absolutely lots of good. It must be rewarding for you to hear from previous um, people that have come to you for advice that once they get through that, I call it the, the, sort of the quarter life crisis in the twenties, um, and when they come back to you and say, "Gosh, thank you for that advice." Uh, oh, it is. I mean, it's absolutely. You know, I probably get you know, an email every single day. And every single day I sit down at my laptop and I spend some time writing and that's really what keeps that going. And um, I mean, you know, as you know, as, as you did in your book, I think when you get on the other side of your twenties and thirties and you feel like I've been there, I got through it. I think a lot of 20 somethings wonder why would an older person help me? Why would they take, make time for me? to give me advice or make an introduction or tell me about their career. And I think they don't realize how rewarding it is for people like you or for people like me to say, hey, I've been there and I've learned a few things and I'd like to make it easier for you. I feel like your book is just so important for people to, one, get grounded, but also to have some hope. Yeah. That's when I yeah. finished, I was like, oh yeah, this is, it's very actually uplifting and inspiring. I appreciate that, Dana. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, let's and I stay in touch. Book, oh, so, thank you so yeah. much. Wait right there. We'll have more next. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Whatever tools and lessons you learned during the pandemic will always be available to you. You've learned to manage in a crisis. You are more resilient for having gone through it. Someone who always makes themselves available for career advice is my co-anchor on America's Newsroom, Bill Hemmer. Bill explains how his experience with the quarter-life crisis changed his thinking and helped him take risks that would change his life. As you know, Bill and I could talk for hours, but here's an insight into what advice Bill took along his journey and what has stayed with him. Do you find a lot of people come to you for career advice? Yes, I do. Um, but I think we also make ourselves available for that advice as well. Do you enjoy that role? I Very much so. I feel like that's true of a lot of people that have had some career success. You know, President Bush, I think that his second favorite job was career guidance counselor. Mm. He loved to help people figure well, it out. Why is that? Because you've been there and you've done it and you want to share what you know. Also, I think that especially for you in particular, and I'll say the same with 43, um, unconditionally loved by your parents, feeling comfortable enough to take a risk, you know, go do something and, and try some things. And I think that what you did um, in your early on in your career of going around the world was incredibly brave. Um. Thank you for saying that. Um, made all the difference in my life. Okay. Um, Tell people about it. What I what, what I um, I was twenty six, and I felt the walls of my world were closing in around me. That's I'm, the quarter life crisis. I, we talk I, about that on this podcast. You're correct. And I, I figured if I, if I don't get this done by the time I turn thirty, everything else I've done is going to be a complete failure, and my life going forward be a mess. So um, it's probably a little overstated, but it was how I was feeling. So my grand ambition was to go out and see all the things that I 
read about and I'd studied and I'd seen on TV. And you know, back then, the Discovery Channel was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And people would watch it and, they, and I would get grand ideas. So e- even though I had what I considered a really good job at that point, I was a sports reporter in my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. I had $15,000 in the bank and I was very unsatisfied. And I thought, man, I got to do it. Uh, because the older I get, the less my ambition will be toward doing it and making it happen. So I quit, backpacked around the world, mostly third world travel. You know, This was China and India. It was the Middle East. It was Eastern Europe and Russia. And a lot of these countries, like the India and China, they, they were considered third world at the time, clearly. Um, now we consider them to be emerging markets. And I think I hit it at a time that was very interesting for their own development, as well as what mine. years were that was that then 92 93 oh yeah so the soviet union had just broken up so there's some freedom and some there was some decoupling shall we say uh in that part of the world and also in southeast asia as well um the communist government in vietnam had just changed their laws for allowing individual travelers to come into their country now, a lot of people may not know this, but for 36, 37 years, countries like Vietnam required you to sign up with a tour group. They would, the communists, they'd watch you every minute of every hour of every day, and they'd escort you from the airport. They'd escort you back to the airport, and your trip was done. Well, at this point, they had just allowed people to own their own businesses. It was small, but it was happening. And they allowed backpackers like me to fly into Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, and move about the country without obstruction. That was an awesome opportunity. How, at 26, did you, how did you believe that your ambition would decline as you got older? Because... How did you know that? um, My thinking was that the places I chose to go, and by the way, I, this was, I wasn't calling up a tour group. I had a book for each country. You still have the book? I still have the books. Awesome. Um, it was Lonely Planet, Life on a Shoestring, and you buy the book for, that corresponds with that country. And, you know, whether it was through China, this was all local travel. It was buses and trains and boats, and I'd have to figure out the language on the wall and stand in line and and move as, move as I could. Um, why did I do it that way? Because I, I, I didn't have any money. $15,000 is not a lot to get by for the next 12 months. I came home with $3,000 in debt. So I wanted to stretch it as far as I could. And I knew that as I grew older, my inhibition would grow larger. And I I thought, like, this is the time to get gritty and to get it done. I think that's incredibly self-aware. And I, I, I really recommend that people travel, even if it's just a road trip across the country, one of the reasons, and I'm curious if this is true for you, that it's great for networking in the future. So, for example, you go to a networking event. They're, they're super uncomfortable, right? You're just like, oh, you mm-hmm. don't know how to break the ice. Well, one of the a great questions is, where'd you grow up? It's wonderful to be able to say, oh, I've been there. I drove through there. Yeah. Or I went there. So if you've been to lots of the different different states, you'll always, you'll already always have something to talk about yeah. with somebody. It's a great point. Um I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll keep it brief. Um, One of the things I love about the city in which we live, New York, is that all the people I've met out there have chosen to make their life here Mm. and to make the life of their own family better. And that's a singular choice that they have made. And one of the things that I, you know, 
if I'm getting out of a cab or an Uber, I, I, I like to just throw it out there. I say, hey, boy, by the way, where are you from? And, you know, they'll say Ghana. And mm-hmm. I say, oh, Accra. Oh, you been? Yes. You, I mean, we're in a cab for 20 minutes. Nobody said a word. And they just light up. Or if it's Bangladesh, is well, you well, you're either from Dhaka or you're from Chittagong. Which one is it? And most most to come from Dhaka, and you get this immediate connection with people. So on that point, you're exactly. Peter right. does the same. Uh, we'll get in a taxi. He'll say, "Where are you from? Where are you from?" And then he'll have something like, "Oh yes, you know, I love your cricket player, so and so." Like you know him. <laughs> That's a good. That's one. amazing. And then he, you know, he can talk to people. So being able to have those shared experiences. Um, but then later on in your career, you return to some of these places or you're not afraid to travel. So you go to Afghanistan yeah. after 9-11. We've, America has invaded. You're there. You were sleeping in uncomfortable conditions. And you were, that's really where people got to know Bill Hemmer. Well, um, perhaps. I think it's, so. It's okay. Um, I have a picture hanging on my wall. I was with CNN at the time, and it's at the airport in Kandahar. This was the original footprint for the War on Terror. It was December of 2001, and we had 2,000 U.S. Marines at the time building up the base, essentially. Um, Not essentially. That's what they were doing. It was mostly men, some women, about a dozen, I would say, out of 2,000. Uh, The best of the Marines, the best of the uh, Rangers, the best of the Navy SEALs, the best of the FBI, the best of the CIA. And America, what I like to say, Dana, is was learning how to fight again. You know, we're still coming off the scars of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Um, The experience in Mogadishu, Somalia was not a good one for America's psyche. Uh, 1993. Uh, we, you know, we went into Grenada in 1983. I mean, this is a Caribbean island that it was over Easy. in an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fought an air war over uh, Kosovo at 15,000 feet. We, we really were, you know, the politicians and I would say the military leaders as well. They were very apprehensive as to how America was going to prep itself for the strong possibility of casualties. And I think in the early days, that was the strong hesitation. But I got to meet these people, uh, not as Marines or Rangers or SEALs. I got to know them as fathers and uncles and brothers and sisters and moms. And when you – it's been 20 years, okay? Just understand my perspective. My perspective is Pulp Fiction. My perspective is – uh, all, all the war apocalypse now coming out of Vietnam. My perspective is all the stuff the way that American media reported and described the American military. And so, you know, I'm a young kid and I go in there with with maybe some early observations about what I expected. But when you live with them as human beings, you get to know them as human beings and your impression changes forever. Um, So for young people today that are getting ready to graduate or maybe they want to make a career move uh, as we come out of this pandemic, do you have two or three pieces of little pearls of hammer wisdom? I I would say a couple of things. I've done a few graduation speeches. I enjoy them because I, I think they focus the speech giver. (laughs) <laughs> more they do than the person who's listening. Like, you know, you got 12 minutes. You know, what where, What really do you want to say? Um, I would narrow it down to it, when people go looking for a job and they want to make a mark for themselves, I, I always say the same three things. Ask a thousand questions, play well with others, and always be available. What about this always be available part? Let's talk just a little bit more about that. Because um, a lot of young people today, they're real worried about their free time. Okay, that may be. I think people were worried about their free time 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago as well, 50, 100 years ago. Uh, I, 
I think what managers want to know is if you're available all the time, then you have a genuine interest in that business, whatever it is. And I, I think that's one of the best ways to make an impression. And if you're going to ask questions, it shows a curiosity as well. And if you're going to get along with other people, that shows me that you, you, you're willing to, to share and to be a part of a team. And I think those three components really are keys to success long-term. So you have many nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. Eleven. And, and two great uncles. Yes. Kids, well, uh, guys. We're not worried about their graduation <laughs> yet, but we'll, we'll get there in 18 years. Um, are you optimistic right now for all of them, for their futures, like in this moment as we come out of this pandemic with the economy? Where is your optimism meter? I, I guess what I would say is I find optimism through how they adapt in their own lives, and it gives me great hope that they will be just fine. Uh, I see them moving into the adult life and how they, they've adjusted. Some of them have gotten married already. Um, already, I say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not a bad thing to get married in your 20s, but right? they have. Um, and I just really applaud the decisions they've made. And I, I think their parents have just done an excellent job to make sure that they have the values that are important to make make them good for the long run. And that's, right. that's what makes me proud. I love all of your advice. Oh. I could talk to you for hours. Um, you're uh, an incredibly talented person and you're curious and you do all of those things. You're always available when people need you. Get along well with others. What was the I third ask one? a lot of questions. Ask, you ask. <laughs> well, you know, it's great to be a journalist. Yeah, and right. actually, that's been fun for me, actually. I used to answer all the questions and now I get to ask a lot more yeah. questions. Nice. And um, it is. It's fun. It's really fun. Thank you. Great to be with you. I appreciate all of the insight from Dr. J and from Bill Hemmer. I think that it's advice that is very much worth following as a graduation season gets underway here. Next week is all about your health, fitness, and well-being. Are you doing what you can to set yourself up for a healthy future? I'm joined by one of my favorite health and fitness experts, Tracy Mallett. She's a world-renowned fitness and wellness expert, best-selling author, and the creator of the hugely popular workouts like Booty Bar and Be Barless. Tracy will give you her best health tips to get you going. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.